everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, your 40k competitive podcast that teaches you skills and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, as always, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me from the right our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen. Greetings. And from the left, our evil podcast host, Joshua Death. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. So it's like we got a little Randy man. Savage, baby! Savage! Yeah, yeah. Are you going to snap into a Slim Jim? <laughs> oh, don't tempt me. I gotta go to the cupboard. Well, he is rightfully very excited about our topic today. Oh, yeah. Yes. This is actually one we've kind of looped back around on. We had originally kind of, like, worked on it, but it never quite made it itself into a proper episode. And I know it's something that uh, Josh has been excited to talk about for quite a while. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about characters with you two. It's, like, the only remaining seriously binary rule in the game. And one of two keywords that actually has a rule attached to it. Fly being the other one, of course. But character is a super, super important rule, and one that I think can show some of the flaws in GW's game design philosophy. Because, it, like you mentioned, it's, it is a really binary rule. It either works or it doesn't. And that's not great for the game. I can't tell you how often it is that I have people mistake some of my large character models for small character models and just not target them and the reason is because they didn't ask me how many wounds it had yeah and the fact that the model's wound count not its other keywords or its size or anything else about it is the determining factor for the the character protection working is very strange and it also gets you into some weird zones where gaining wounds is actually bad for a character (laughs) right I thought it was FAQ that it's specifically their starting wounds that starts that, because when characters drop to nine wounds or under, they're still targetable as long as they started with the higher amount. Certainly. For example, there are some warlord traits that give plus one wound. Mm. If a nine wound character takes that warlord trait, they are targetable, because they start the game with ten wounds. Ah. Or war gear. Or anything else that can modify that, but... It's that example, it's where you are you are gaining something, but it is actually making you worse. And that in itself is not actually very problematic, because you can, of course, just not choose that warlord trait. But it, I think it showcases the flaw in the character rule itself. You get things like Old One-Eye, who used to be ten wounds, and then with the Codex, dropped to nine wounds and became infinitely better. And you also run into the problem that everyone has experienced as of this edition, which is you not being able to shoot a character who is wide out in the open, uh, just sitting on their ass on top of a building or something, because there happens to be five scouts in a building 16 inches in another direction or something like that. Oh, yeah. Or the five Gretchen half inch in front of the shock attack gun that you now can't shoot. Yep. There's a large number of these kind of feels-bad situations. Things that don't make sense from a fluff perspective or a rules perspective, and also create negative game experiences for the player. Yeah. 
But I, I also I also like to caution towards the other side of that coin. I've heard it even now. I just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard people complain like, "Oh man, you know, they should just get rid of that and make it uh, the closest viable target or the closest visible target, and then you can shoot it because then you wouldn't have that issue." But for anyone that remembers the very early days, and, and I think it was very early in 8th before they changed it, and actually it might have been 7th back in the day, I can't remember, but I remember the day where you had an issue where I can't, I can see that character, but there's units in the way, so I just park my two rhinos at an angle, Yeah. and all I can see through that corridor now is that character, and none of those other guys are viable, so I'm going to shoot that character now. Because you just removed all their viability and you use rhinos to snipe characters now. And and I remember that happening back in the day. So, I mean, I understand there's the other side of the coin. So, um, is it the best rule we have? No. But is it better than that? Yeah. Sure. And the problem is that you, you either can shoot them or can't them shoot them nature. Yeah. Um, it's not, oh, he's harder to shoot if he's near a unit, or, you know, you can shoot him, but it has to hit the unit first, or something else like that. You just either can shoot them or can't shoot them. Yeah. And, and that is what I feel is the problematic aspect, because it sets up these situations where characters are completely invulnerable until they aren't, and then they die instantly. Yes, that is very much a thing. That's why Blood Angel Smash Captains are really missiles more than they are characters. Yes, it is a spell that you cast by spending 124 points and two command points, and it destroys one vehicle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty effective. It's a good spell. It's just too bad that it's not actually a unit in your army, because uh, <laughs> it might be nice to have a unit. But no, it is. It is. It's a weird psychic power. <laughs> Honestly, that's actually half of why I think flyers have become so popular mm. is because it is so easy to pick out those character targets oh, yeah. by getting a flyer very close to those characters when they leave an opening. Yes, uh, it is a very easy way to punish uh, mistakes in play with a flyer and to set up situations where your opponent has no good choices. Yes. The other thing about that is... Seeing as characters are such clutch, big force multipliers in the armies, some extra protection is necessary for them. I do agree with that concept. Certainly. Characters do need some kind of protective rule. They've always had it in the game. For example, back in, you know, 4th, 5th, and 6th, and 7th, uh, you had the independent character rule in various iterations, which allowed you to kind of, like, glomp onto squads. You know, in 8th, we have the character protection rule, which is intended to fulfill the same thing. Even Age of Sigmar has a similar rule, although theirs is not as binary. It is that if you are not the closest target, they just take a minus 1 to shoot you. We couldn't use that exact version in 40k, because a minus 1 to hit in 40k is nothing. You'd be still, you'd have all your characters blown off the table turn 1. But something more akin to that, I think, could be beneficial. Or, say, a version that had a slightly weaker condition. You can't be shot as long as you are within three inches of a friendly unit. Mm -hmm. Would solve some of the problems. I think it's an interesting sort of discussion to have in terms of looking at what the character rule does for the game and how it affects things. Because, you know, as Shay mentioned, characters are really, really important for a lot of armies. Yeah. Fun thing is, when you use those weird stratagems like Orbable Bombardment that says, oh, hey, if you're hitting a character, it's a little harder to hit them, that yeah. does apply on the bigger characters. Yeah, Magnus is hard to hit with a, an Orbable Bombardment, in fact, more so than a Dreadnought, despite being, like, five times the size. <laughs> Technically, a character Imperial Knight 
still benefits from that. Yep. Man, just can't aim at that guy. He's so small, hardly larger than a skyscraper. <laughs> yeah. So, from talking about characters, let's talk about something completely different. Characters. Yes. Specifically, I... the heroic intervention rule. Yes. The heroic intervention rule is uh, largely new to 8th edition, and even within the context of 8th edition, kind of is a bit of an odd duck, because it's a rule a lot of people don't know very much about. But it's an especially important rule to the game, as we mentioned, because characters are very powerful. They are often melee powerhouses that can kind of like swing the tide of a fight quite easily. Anyone who's been in combat with a Smash Captain or just even just like an Autark or, you know, any other random HQ, they can clean out like half a squad per turn on their own. Oh, yeah. They're Um, kind of designed to be big badasses for a reason. It's all thematic. They are very powerful. And unlike in some of the earlier editions, it is very viable to have a character solo an entire squad. Mm-hmm. That is a relatively commonplace thing these days. So, the heroic intervention rule, which allows them to potentially get into combat and perform all kinds of other shenanigans, is really important to understand if you want to be playing this game at a high level. So, before we get into talking about the rule too much, let's go ahead and have Josh read us out the full text of the rule so we know exactly what we're working with. So, heroic intervention. After the enemy has completed all of their charge moves, any of your characters that are within three inches of an enemy unit may perform a heroic intervention. Any that do so can move up to three inches so long as they end the move closer to the nearest enemy model. That's it. Yeah, it's a relatively short rule and buried in kind of a weird place in the rulebook. It's not under the character rules, it's not really where you'd expect it to be. But it's also extremely important. So what what did the two of you kind of like see as like the immediate jump outs of that? What are the, the major consequences of it? So the first thing is, if you have someone that's like pretty close to you, but not actually touching you, you can move as far as you want to as long as you end up touching them at the end of the day. As long as you end up closer, you don't actually have to touch them as long as you end closer. Yes. yes. So there's actually a lot of shenanigans there. You have a surprising amount of freedom of movement with that because it follows the same end closer wording that you'll see on a lot of other rules in combat. The other thing is, and this is kind of the really big obvious one, is usually, now some people are smart and they declare a lot of charges, usually people don't declare a charge on this character. So now this character can swing and not be swung at because charging units have to swing at things they declare to charge upon. We'll talk about that a little bit more later as we uh, hit some of the other stuff, but yes, it allows characters to get into combats where people can't fight back. And no Overwatch. This is huge. So one of my big takeaways from Hurricane Dimension, and the one I see actually get left out a lot, and a lot of people kind of question whenever it happens, is all it says are the restrictions of when you can Hurricane Dimension is if at the end of the enemy charge phase... There are enemy unit within three inches of a character. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say whether I'm in combat, not in combat. It doesn't say whether he even declared any charges. Yes. A lot of people think he had to charge. No, it's just at the end of his charge phase, and as per the FAQ, you can't skip phases. So at the end of their phase, is there an enemy unit within three inches of my guy? Yes, I can move my guy up to three inches as long as he ends closer to the nearest enemy model. So it's like, wow, that opens up a lot of potential freedom there that I don't think a lot of people see. Yeah, very Mm -hmm. much. 
Um, as long as you have not been based yet, then you can charge them. Yes, that's that's a big one. Also, from that small little side nuance, you don't actually have to put yourself into combat. You can have a three-inch move as long as you end closer. Very true. There are situations where you will want to use heroic intervention, but not actually end within an inch of anything. Getting you that last little bit behind a piece of cover or something. Behind a piece of cover, onto an objective, things like that. Draw you further away to not get shot at. Mm-hmm. Yes. Heroic intervention does not have to be used to get into combat. That is typically what you will use it for, but as we're going to talk about, there's a lot of other things you can do with it. It's a very flexible rule. It is. It's also very easy to forget about. It's something that a lot of players just don't think about because it's something the enemy does on your turn. Yes, and that is actually one of the biggest nuances of it is this is a counter action. This is an out-of-place action you can make on the enemy turn, which is why it's powerful. Yes, you don't often get to do active things on the enemy turn. You're typically just reacting to what they're doing, rolling overwatch or taking armor saves and stuff like that. Yes. And again, it's very easy to forget about. You need to get in the habit of thinking at the end of the enemy's charges, okay, where are my characters? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. And by the same token, you need to very much get in the habit of, on your own turn, looking at the enemy characters and saying, okay, what's going to happen once I finish my charges? Because you don't want to get the enemy stuck in with a, a good heroic intervention if you can avoid it, because that can be basically a free charge phase. Yeah. Immune. Immune charge phase. Yes. One of the things I do is I have a little three-inch measuring stick on my nine-inch thing. Yep. And I just, like, wick it around the enemy characters really quick and see what that little aura is for them and decide whether I want to interact with that. Yes, because the character does need to be within three inches in order to make and declare the intervention at all. Yep. Yes. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to charge a screen forward so that if they go anywhere, they're going to go hit grots or something and I don't care. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between heroic intervention and charging, because we've compared the two a lot already, but they're not actually the same. They have some very important differences. Yes. One of the big ones that I I have to correct a lot of people on, not as much these days, but more frequently over the last year or so, heroic intervention, while it does happen in the charge phase, is not a charge in that it does not convey the you strike first ability. Very true. So if you heroic intervention into somebody, it doesn't mean, oh, you get to swing with all the chargers. All of his charging units or her charging units still go first, and then you can trigger him as an existing combat. Yep. You do not get to swing first with him just because heroic intervention happened. No, unless they have some sort of other rule like the Space Wolf thing. Exactly. Right. You know, some of the abilities that trigger on a charge also trigger on heroic intervention. For example, the Blood Angels plus one to wound and stuff like that. But that is not true for all of them. That is a very case-by-case basis, and the default you-strike-first ability of charging is not part of heroic intervention. Yes. And so on those abilities, they will explicitly call out heroic intervention. Yes, if it works. So if you don't see it in there, it doesn't happen. Another really important one, and this is something to remember after our most recent FAQ here, heroic intervention movements do not benefit from the fly keyword. Mm-hmm. It is not a charge. It is not part of the movement phase. Therefore, you cannot pass over enemy models with fly or other similar special rules. 
That is extremely important when it comes to moving over your own models and that sort of thing. We'll definitely get into that a little later as well. But you cannot pass through things with a heroic intervention. Yes. And, of course, as we mentioned before, when you heroic intervention, you must move closer to the closest enemy model, but you don't necessarily have to move into base contact or even within an inch of them. You have a lot of freedom as long as you get even fractionally closer than it is a legal heroic intervention. This is why declaring your intent is really good when you're going to pull off shenanigans like that with your opponent. Yes, very much you should be saying like, okay, I'm moving three inches this way and I am moving, you know, a fraction of an inch closer. Does this look good to you? And, you know, okay, that sort of thing with your opponent, just because it it helps communicate what you're doing rather than just assuming like, I felt like moving a model and you didn't stop me. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you're not cheating. You're being shenanigans and clever, which is different. Yes. What sort of uses do you guys see for heroic intervention? Uh, Let's sort of start with the simpler stuff. I think you can deal with heroic intervention is avoid overwatch, which is huge. Yes, uh, especially against some of the armies that have really powerful overwatch from, say, flamers or overwatching on better than four on sixes or combined overwatch like Tau and some of the other factions can do. Not letting them overwatch is really big. Or even if they just have, like, regular Overwatch, but you're at, like, one or two wounds. Sometimes you just, like, I sure hope they don't roll any sixes. Eh, well, you don't have to worry about that with Heroic Intervention, because they don't get to roll. Oh, okay. Another one of the things that I actually like to see Heroic Intervention used for, and I've used it a few times before, is you can force your way into a unit to force some swings at the character, rather than... For sure. Uh, going after the unit. You know, you just get your character in there, be like, hey, I'm going to divide up their swings. I'm going to shove this guy in here and make him swing at this guy rather than at the unit. And maybe he's a tough character and he can survive it better. And it's just, uh, let's just get less swings on my unit and more on him. Yeah, mm-hmm. if, if your opponent has a, like, five or ten man unit and you can divert, like, four to six of those swings onto a character to prevent them from swinging at one of your more fragile units then that can definitely make a huge difference, uh, especially if that unit was already locked in combat. Uh, and hence, you know, they're not getting to swing first and everything. The other really obvious one is if they didn't declare your character as a charge target, yeah. meaning yes. they can't swing at them, the character can go in there and start swinging at things, and characters are beefy. Yeah, and that, that immunity, that immunity is really huge. And even if they're not particularly good at combat, that can be very beneficial because it's essentially just free damage. Mm-hmm. Free dice. Maybe you kill something, maybe you don't, but, like, if you can just get some extra hits in, then that's great. I actually heroically intervened with my Tau commanders pretty commonly, because, you know, they're not, like, incredible, but they hit on threes and wound on threes against most things, and it's just like, alright, go ahead and take a couple saves. Oh, I killed two space marines. Cool. That's and cool. Two just... space marines off deal within a minute. Yeah, and then I just use fly to just walk right out of that combat, and it doesn't affect me at all. Start shooting. Yeah. My personal favorite is the heroic intervention of they charge my screen, didn't declare the character, and then the beefy character steps in Mm -hmm. and just shreds whatever just happened there. Goes pound town on him. A lot of people will charge into relatively weak units trying to kill them, and if you've got a character nearby, you can make that charge very costly for them. Yes. I have seen Gilliman rip things up with heroic interventions many a time. Absolutely. Because yes, any character can heroically intervene regardless of what kind of model they are. So be wary of that. Imperial Knights, Gilliman, 
Dread Knights are always hilarious to watch. Yep. The flip side of that, though, and this is just a little bit of a, a caution for anyone who is looking at getting into uh, things, you don't always want to heroically intervene. Exactly. Because, you, yeah, maybe you get some swings in and kill some guys in that squad, but does that character need to be where they are, for example, for auras or mm. other abilities like that? Or do they need to be going off and doing something else? Because if you can't fall back and charge then you're now stuck in a fight. Yeah. So sometimes you're committing yourself to the fight. If you don't have the fly keyword, you're probably committed to that fight for a little bit. Is this a good idea for you? You definitely need to be thinking about that. Don't just heroically intervene because you can. Like anything, the dame, you need to look at your heroic intervention and say, is this a good idea? Is this helping me? Yes. There's also the other side of that coin, and that's, um, for those of people that are fighting against a lot of horror conventions, uh, you, you know, as we've mentioned multiple times, if you don't declare that character, you can't swing at that character. Mm-hmm. And a lot of upper players will just, okay, well, that character's in range. He's in range to horror convention if I go in. So I'm just going to go ahead and declare the character. And now the person, me as the player with my character, I got to make a choice. Yes. Because if I decide horror convention, they can swing at this guy. So is that a risk I want to take by sending him in there? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because they charged, they get to swing first. And with a lot of those units that are charging in that situation, like they, they may very well have the potential to kill that character or even just wound them to a degree that will put them in danger later in the game. Because it's like, you know, you lose one or two wounds off your librarian and now every time you cast a psychic power, you're risking dying to perils. Yeah, seriously. And a lot of times a single character's Overwatch isn't something too dramatic for them, so there's really no risk for them to yeah. just add that character on. Absolutely. Yeah, um, most characters don't have shock attack guns. Right. Right, that. <laughs> now, there are some characters who are a lot more dangerous in that regard. The shock attack gun. Yep. Tau commanders, things like that. Um, so you do need to look at whether it's worth adding that character to your pile of charges. Or again, if you're the unit that's charging, it is a very low wound count. Even just that one extra frag grenade might make the difference. But that said, you know, sometimes you'll want to just because it's like, well, I've got, you know, 20 orcs. and I'm going to go in here no matter what. So I may as well just get that character as well. Because if he heroically intervenes into me, I'm going to pile 10 orcs onto him and kill him. Orcs are pretty good at that. Yes. That's their job. (laughs) The other relatively obvious thing that uh, I think we kind of should just, like, tag on here is uh, controlling objectives in board space. Ah, yeah. We talked earlier about, like, looking at your opponents, you know, where can they heroically intervene, what can they do, and whatnot. But you can also use that against them, as the threat of a heroic intervention can be very powerful. If you have a character on the ground, that three-inch radius around them, presuming they have any sort of real close combat ability at all, is basically a no-go zone for most units. If your smash captain is sitting on objective, the enemy can't drive a rhino up to that, because you'll just kill it. Oh, yeah. That's Um, not a fight. Yeah, And, and that goes for most characters, because even the sort of, like, paltry characters, like the sort of low-end, you know, oh, look, it's a librarian with a force staff. That guy will still beat up on most things he runs into. Yeah. 
So a character can be very good at controlling, especially a a very confined space, like the area inside a building or something like that. Uh, having a character who can heroically intervene is very powerful there, but objectives really are the big one. Yes. Yeah. A fun little awkward heroic invention I had one time is someone had an Imperial Knight sitting right up next to a ruin. Mm-hmm. I heroically intervened into the side of him mm-hmm. and beat the shit out of the Imperial Knight. Yeah, you can inter- heroically intervene with a character into a character, and that's pretty dangerous as well. You cannot heroically intervene on your turn. No, you can never heroically intervene on your turn, even if the enemy charges. We'll just go ahead and get that one out of the way first. That is been FAQ'd. Uh, yeah, it's just, just straight impossible. For me, though, objectives really are the critical one, though, because that's the most important part of any battlefield is wherever those objectives are sitting. And that three-inch radius of heroic intervention is coincidentally also the same size as the three-inch controlling an objective radius. Which means if you have a character on a 40 millimeter or larger base, that is the size of an objective, the enemy cannot get onto that objective without risking heroic intervention. Because they, they can just sit right on top of the objective, and if you're in range to hold the objective, they're in range to intervene into you. Smaller characters cannot perfectly protect an objective, but they often will essentially be able to anyways, is you just bias them towards whatever side the enemy is coming from. That'll allow you to pretty easily protect that objective from them. And obviously, much larger characters can control even larger spaces. Yes. Remember, Imperial Knights can be characters, too. Yes, they can. Either of you guys have anything else you want to tag on to the uh, controlling space or anything like that? The other one is because it's a three-inch move, aura changing can be really powerful. I had heroic intervention reach out and touch a unit that was just outside of range, and -hmm. then suddenly got into range, and its counterattack was way more beefy and caused a lot of problems. It was a unit of paladins. Yeah, you start giving some rerolls that a unit would not otherwise have had. Banner. I heroically interviewed with a banner, too. That was super bad for them. There are characters with defensive auras of various kinds as well. There's lots of characters with lots of good auras out there. Just keep in mind that heroic intervention can place that, for better or for worse, when they move. All right. I think that really kind of covers the, the basic subject of things. So let's head ourselves down to the mess hall, grab something to eat, and we will catch you all with some more Trixie and advanced strategies in the back half of the episode. I'll be at the library. See you both later. Stay tuned. <laughs> Northwest Area Gamers. If you're looking for a major ITC event happening in the later end of the year here, think about Stumptown Stomp. It's a charity event, and at only $55, the majority of which does go to charity, you can get in for two full days of gaming on November 16th and 17th, and it comes with a potluck lunch on the first day of the event. There are a variety of prizes, raffled as well as awarded, for both painting, sportsmanship, overall, and generalship. So come on down to Guardian Games and give it a spin.
And we are back to talk about some of the super fancy pantsy moves you can use to screw yourself or other people with heroic intervention. Preferably your opponent. If you're smart, yes. But let's be fair, all of us here have definitely screwed ourselves with a bad move at some points. Oh yeah. 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 So, we talked about the beginning half, sort of the basic uses of heroic intervention. Getting into combats, bypassing overwatch, controlling objectives, just sort of the the general things you would think of as like, oh yes, you get to make a move. Let's talk about some of the a little bit more complicated and more cunning uses. So, this is a, let's learn from Josh death. Mm -hmm. Because everyone loves learning from someone else who's made a mistake. Oh yeah. So Josh had done a really amazing shenanigans, long char, strung out charge with a big unit. I think it was Plague Bears or something. Mm-hmm. Inconvenient heroic intervention into the side of it, forcing his pylons to pull away from where he needed them to go. Yep, I was planning on using the pylons to actually wrap a tank, which I wasn't then able to do because the pylons would have taken me out of coherency because certain pylons weren't able to move anymore because they were now base-to-base contact. And it completely screwed my pylons, allowing that tank to fall back next turn, which thereby cost me the game. Yep. So it was brutal. It literally lost me the game because I didn't see that coming, and it was perfectly executed. It's actually, I mean, I gotta throw out the name. It was Chris Blackham. Oh, yeah. He is a phenomenal player. When he caught me on that, I was like, wow, that was brilliant. And I remember kind of thinking to myself... All right, going to have to put that in the old memory bank of a tool to use, because I had never thought of it, and it was very well done. So, yes, that's a huge one to realize, that your convention can be very valuable just for locking down either their pylons or yours. Yes, good players especially, the the higher tier players of the game, can use the charge phase and then pylon consolidates in some really incredible ways. Mm-hmm. because you can potentially get 18 inches of movement out of that single phase. Oh, that is, yeah. That is an incredible tool to control section of the board. But Heroic Intervention does give you a way to counter that, because those pylons have to be clo- towards the closest enemy unit. So by using a Heroic Intervention, as Josh described, to sort of lock down sections of a big line you can make sure that the enemy either doesn't get to maximize their pylon and consolidates, or potentially doesn't get to make them at all. This is another one that I have used a lot as well, and I'll do with Tau Commanders all the time, is uh, the enemy will sort of, like, move a unit in and be looking to wrap something, or perhaps be looking to, you know, touch another unit with a, a pile in, uh, and by heroically intervening the commander in, I prevent them from moving any closer to that unit and keep them away from the, the things that I need to worry about. I heroically intervened a Grandmaster into a Gene Stealer cult line to prevent them from doing an overrun and going further into my line. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they hadn't targeted him, so he just held them there. That, you know, the overrun requires you to be three inches away from things, and if you've got that Grandmaster sitting right next to him, they are certainly not three inches away from you. Also, he conveniently chewed up five Gene Stealers, so... Bonus, I killed a bunch of guys. <laughs> yes, but controlling those pylons and consolidates, even if you're not stopping them from doing it, just controlling where they have to go can be really big. But also, like, just get yourself into base contact. That locks them down. Yeah. And it's not too hard for a character to 
lock two models in place with that, you should be able to heroically intervene such that you get at least one, probably two. Yeah. Or if you're a big character, you can get even more than that. A, a knight heroically intervening can, you know, potentially get three or four or six or more. So that can really be big when the opponent is relying on that movement from their their pylon and consolidates to get them places. And also it's worth considering that it, it isn't just the initial pylon consolidates. It's if they decide to fight twice, that will control that as well. And if they wipe out the other unit they were fighting, then it may very well be that that character is the closest thing to all of their models, and they have to basically, like, dogpile on him. Which can be very useful if you can just bundle up that whole enemy unit there. Especially, like you said, if, if you have the town, you just fly out of it. Yes, yeah. very much. Uh, I gated a Grandmaster out after having done that, and then yep. pain happened. Yep. I mean, just sort of bunch that unit up, prevent it from getting onto objectives, which a lot of people will use pylon and consolidates to do. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, drag them all into the middle of this nice little spot out in the open where they have no cover and are completely in line of sight and can't get away from you. And then, boop, you jump into the warp and they get shots. Mm -hmm. They lit the F up. It's beautiful. Yes. You were mentioning that knight, mm -hmm. the, how you were mentioning, you know, knights can heroic intervention and grab, you know, I mean, they're big enough, they can grab multiple units potentially. Yes. That's actually, that exact reason is why I've regularly, when I run like a triple knight list, mm -hmm. I will almost always make one of those three knights a free blade. Oh, yeah. And I do it strictly because that the free blade has that giving a knight a six inch heroic intervention. When you take the size base of a knight... And you add a six-inch bubble around that bad boy of allowing this guy to move up to six inches. That is huge. I mean, you literally just lock off this massive chunk of the table where they're like, I don't want to get near that. Yeah. No. Uh, knights are obviously the most extreme example of that because the knight base is like six or seven inches wide anyways. Yeah. Then mm -hmm. you, you know, add a six-inch radius all around that. That's enormous. It's so big. But there are a lot of warlord traits, and also the Space Wolves uh, faction ability. Their entire army. <laughs> you know, all their characters. The six-inch intervention is very big. You know, we've been talking about the three-inch intervention this whole time. A six-inch intervention is enormous. Yeah. Uh, it's about four times the area on a basic-sized base. That's huge. That Yeah, that's enormous. If you think about that, like how large a section of the battlefield that allows a single character to control, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's pretty monster. And that's why one of the things that I, I still just kind of am, am dumbfounded at is one of the biggest strengths the Space Wolf Codex has is the fact that all of their characters just stock at a six-inch work convention. You know, even this little Space Wolf add-on detachment that people take, not like the whole thing, like the whole Space Wolf army, just the add-on, why players aren't taking advantage of this six-inch bubble of these killy characters that Space Wolves obviously have. I think there's a lot of, uh... People forgetting? Well, I don't think of forgetting. Like, the guys who are building the top-end lists are not forgetting that Space Wolves exist. And I know Metch Pelham has played with it a lot, and so have some of the others. I think there's a variety of reasons for that, and I don't really want to get into them here. That's, that's a subject for a whole episode on its own. But it is an extremely powerful tool. If you think about, like, hiding behind a ruined wall and being prepared to, you know, intervene six out, six inches out into the enemy when they come close, 
or diving into their backfield with like a redeploy or something like that, or even just like moving and advancing a character into a ruin and then being ready to threaten. So huge. You know, controlling potentially two objectives at once using that. Yeah. Because, you know, if you place those two objectives 12 inches apart, you can basically spread yourself to hold a pair of them. There's a lot you can do with that six-inch intervention. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for those factions who do have access to that warlord trait, it can be really, really big, because usually it gives you a six-inch intervention and something else in the bargain. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a twofer thing. Yeah, even the Tau version, which most people would think of as like, oh yeah, Tau, I'm real scared of their melee warlord trait. Farsight! Farsight has it, that is his fixed trait. Um, you can get it on any of the Farsight characters, especially if you throw those fusion blades onto them. Oh, it's so good. And you may not be scared of most Tau melee, but when Tau are punching you with guns, yes. <laughs> that um, is more than minutely frightening. But a lot of factions have access to this trait, uh, and if you do, definitely be looking at it in a game, and and ask yourself, you know, is my warlord enough of a combat character that I can make use of this? Do I have the ability to put them in places where they're going to threaten the enemy? Do the uh, the infantry keywords so that they can be making maximum use of the intervention through walls and tricks like that? It is a really, really big thing to have if you can do it, and if you have that option, you need to be considering what you can do with it. Yes, it is a good tool in your toolbox. Don't forget you have it. Absolutely. And it really just multiplies all of the stuff we've been talking about already. Yes. That all of the things you could do before, you're doing at least twice as well there. Yeah. With how insanely powerful that is, the fact that there are certain units out there that have that ability, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they're overlooked units, just because a lot of times the point of the, that you point you're paying for that unit is because they have that ability. Yes. Yeah. So let's actually talk a little bit about some of the the weirder cases for heroic intervention, because there it's a strange rule, and there are a lot of unusual sort of things with it, because... There are some unusual characters out there. We've talked about knights a whole bunch, uh, and most people have sort of gotten the idea like, oh, right, knights are pretty much always characters. Because remember, knights become characters if they have a warlord trait or a relic, or if you nominate them using the the knight, the lance rule. So even if all you do is buy that two-up armor relic for a knight, they become a character. That's one that a lot of people miss out on. So knights are the, the easy place to start. But there's another one we're actually seeing a lot of more these days that is technically a character, but most people kind of forget about it. Tank commanders. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. No one really thinks of tank commanders as characters, but they are. They can heroically intervene. Now, you usually don't want to. There's generally not trying to get your tanks into combat, because if you do, then they can't back out and shoot. But... There are times when you'll want to do that, when these pile-in shenanigans or other things are going to be really important. Yes. And there are a handful of other characters uh, that are able to do similar things. Uh, Longstrike, the Tau Hammerhead character, yeah. he's a character. He can pile in, and guess what? He's got fly. Yeah, he does, so he is perfectly okay with getting into a combat and then walking away. Ovesa! Ovesa! 
I assume he gets out and carries himself away. <laughs> um, yes, Ovesa, the Riptide. I'm not going to let you miss Ovesa. He's got to be there. <laughs> I mean, technically, yes. For all of those those poor, poor Tau players who decided they were going to bring the eight and throw half their army in the garbage. <laughs> um, you have a Riptide character. Congratulations, my friends. That gets to heroic. <laughs> yes. And there are a handful of others. Uh, you know, Space Marines, the, the Ultramarines have their tank character. Several other factions have similar... Uh, a lot of people forget that, like, banner characters, because everyone's just like, oh yeah, it's just the guy only the banner. Well, he's a character too. He is. And there are all kinds of unusual characters. Monstrous creature characters are also very easy to forget about. Because you don't, you don't tend to think of them as characters, but they are. Old One-Eye. Old One-Eye. Magnus. Magnus, yes. Yeah, Mag Magnus and Morty, oh god. Magnus falls very much into the knight model of like, oh yeah, by the way, he's a character even though he's 100 feet tall. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so don't forget about all those guys when you're kind of thinking of heroic interventions. Because that's very easy to turn into that sort of, like, gotcha moment, where it's like, alright, I'm gonna go ahead and intervene with Magnus, and you're like, oh shit, yep, forgot about that, oh. Ah, fuck, he's a character, isn't he? <laughs> um, so, think about what characters actually are, and keep that in mind, of like, Magnus is a character. Yeah. Knights are characters bunch of other things that don't look like what we think because characters think uh you most people think of characters as things with under nine wounds but there are a lot of characters with over nine wounds that we don't think of as characters but absolutely have the keyword yes going back to the heroic intervention mistakes because we're about to like talk about counters and stuff a little bit is someone heroically intervened into me and they forgot that the heroic intervention person doesn't swing with all the chargers. Sure. So I swing on my chargers and then I get to select a unit in a combat so the unit keeps Gilliman's convened into a Dreadmaster. Right. Dreadmaster knocks Gilliman off the board. Yep. Yes. That's, that's definitely, you know, as we mentioned before, heroic intervention strikes with normal non-charging units, which is a big thing. So I'm reminding you that if you're the player and you get heroically intervened, yep. if the unit he heroically intervened to hadn't charged, they can still swing on that character before that character gets to swing. Yeah, right. Unless he wants to spend 2 CP to interrupt with it. The one last thing I'd like to touch on in terms of kind of like weird gotcha heroic interventions is non-character heroic interventions. Yeah. There are units with the ability to heroically intervene. It is rare, but it does exist. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. The one that always jumps to mind for me is uh, one of the Harlequin sub-factions has access to a stratagem which allows any of their units from that sub-faction to heroically intervene. Oh, yeah. And as powerful as heroic intervention is, like as we've talked about here, doing so with a multi-model unit is even more powerful because it multiplies all of those pile-in and consolidate shenanigans we were talking about. Celestine, back when she had her friends, was beautiful to watch. Yes, she could just jump all over a unit and grab like three or six models. There are also uh, a handful of other units in the game that have special rules, not just stratagems, but like constantly in effect special rules that allow them to intervene. Yes, one of the Alaris variants has that ability. And there's actually a secondary side of their ability that allows them to do something special when they heroic dimension. 
Yes, because they get to move closer to the nearest character rather than towards a uh, just any model, if I believe, if I'm correct. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. Which, again, as we all mentioned, and as Shailen even mentioned earlier, that, that horror convention does not have to take you into combat. But if you just want these guys to go three inches that way because there's a character that's within three inches in that direction... That can be stupidly powerful, especially with a unit like Galaris Custodes. Mm-hmm. Death Watch. Death Watch is actually one of the ones I go to a lot because yes, any Death Watch kill team that brings a black shield, that entire unit now has the ability to heroic intervention. Oh yeah. Which again, that's one of those units where if a Death Watch kill team just worked into me, that's a potential bad moment for me. Yes, because mm-hmm. that's theoretically quite a lot of attacks. Yeah. So, yes, be on the lookout for those non-character models. They are extremely rare. There's maybe, like, six of them in the whole game who can do it. But when they can, it is extremely punishing. And it can really just break your back. It's the, the, the Death Shield, the Harlequin Stratagem, the Alaris Terminators... Is- and there are a small handful of other units in the game that can pull that off. There are also a decent number of units that have heroic interventions with special text attached to them. Like the, the, the Terminator one that allows them to move towards characters. There's the new Master of Executions for Chaos, which allows him to move to, towards characters and do it six inches. Yeah. So be on the lookout for the ones that have you know, bonus text on there as well, because they can also make a really big difference. Yes. So let's, let's get into our final topic here. We've talked, we've talked a lot about how good heroic intervention is. What do you do about it? How do you stop people from intervening into you? Well, if you're physically touching their model, they can't do it because they've been based. Yep, you don't get to move if you are in base contact because it is impossible to be closer than zero inches. As I mentioned briefly earlier, uh, with having a unit of Groths that you don't care if they get intervened into, you can screen it. Yep, uh, it has to go towards the closest model, forcing them to move places they don't want to be. The really simple and obvious, the like, duh version is, don't be within three inches. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, it seems stupid, but you have a lot of control over where your models end up when you declare a charge. Mm-hmm. You just don't have to be within three inches of them because heroic intervention happens after all charges have finished, but before pile-ins and consolidates, which means if you can just like sneak one guy in such that he's not within three inches of that character and then use your pile-ins to make sure the whole unit gets into combat, you've completely bypassed the mechanic for them. Yes. Well, and if you think about it, real, real simple, I mean, kind of basic logic on this. I mean, the smallest average base size is about an inch, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you only have to be an inch away to make a charge on a unit. And most people aren't going to put a character literally, like, right up inside the unit. Normally, a character is at least an inch back from the unit because they're kind of behind giving their bonuses or whatever. Yep. That right there is three inches. If the character's an inch behind this model and the model's an inch wide and I'm an inch away from the model, I can be over, you know, on that three-inch mark without having to worry about that character. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of it, really and truly, is just avoiding those gotcha moments by knowing the rule is there. Yes. yes. Um, and actually, Josh kind of raises another point that I really wanted to to make here. Um, we talked earlier that heroic intervention does not allow you to pass through models. 
it is very, very common for people to bury that character a little bit back in the unit, and if they aren't paying close attention to their positioning, block off their own intervention with their models. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't a gap wide enough for that character's extra large, because, you know, most characters are on, like, 40 millimeter bases, because they're scenic. Yep. Is there's just not a gap wide enough for them to fit through, and you can very easily block their intervention. In a similar vein, they get to move three inches and, you know, obviously have to end closer and everything. It may be that you are within three inches of them, but terrain and models in the way mean that a three-inch move does not allow them to end within an inch of you. Yep. That is going to be relatively common as well. Big models are a big example. I mean, the Magnus, Mortarian Knights, and all that. Absolutely. That's a big example of that. Yeah, they have they have to be able to legally place their model in a way that it could be there. And remember, no part of a model's base can move more than the maximum distance. I'm so glad you just mentioned that. I was just about to say the same thing, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> so they can't play twisty around the t- corner? Yes, you can't move the front of your base forward three inches and swing the back end of your base like a door six inches. Not legal. Uh, extremely relevant on models with the, the large, wide bases like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So often, uh, one that I've, I've been even having, I even had to correct someone literally just the other day on, is you have the model like a base and they're, and they're wanting to charge or move past uh, uh, the corner of a ruin, that exact example, wanting to move past it. Mm-hmm. And he, he's wanting to move past, and, I, and I'm looking at him, I was like, well, you need to measure at this point where he, what he was trying to do is you got to measure from the back of the base. And he's like, why? I'm like, well, because the back of that base has to get all the way past the ruin, that wall, before you can turn and start going the other way. He's like, well, couldn't I just swing it? Well, then, yeah, you can swing it, but then you need to be measuring that swing. Yes. Because that base is still moving that distance. Either you're swinging it and you need to measure that back end swing in, or you got to measure it from the back of the base till you all the way clear the ruin because it's, it, you don't just get to measure it from the front and that's as far as he moves. It's not it. Yeah. You measure the full distance of every part of that base's movement. And so that, with those big oval bases, a lot of people are still kind of figuring that out in 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or pole chassis or anything like that that yep. are just big. Very similar stuff for vehicles and whatnot as well. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Exactly. And the last thing you can do is basically give them a crappy thing to heroically intervene into, mm-hmm. um, be it a screen or maybe a beefy character, like the Gilliman example. Yes. He uh, intervened into something that, like, did 17 wounds to his sorry butt and yeah. flew him off the table. They don't want to. <laughs> yes. It, having a unit that they don't want to intervene into is definitely one of the, the ways you can do that. Like, yes you are within three inches of me and protecting that objective. Would you like to heroically intervene into my knight or my unit of terminators or my unit of 30 boys or whatever? Uh, you know, it's, you, you can do it. It is legal for you to declare. Do you want to? Because, you know, you heroically intervene, I'm going to get to swing first because it is my turn and I get to pick a unit first. Mm-hmm... Another way to get around it, and we kind of hinted at it earlier, is if you're worried about this character and you're especially charging with a unit that is designed to be charging with, just charge the character. Mm-hmm. Add the character in charge. doesn't mean you swing at him, but it makes it to where if he wants to make that charge, uh, you know, that Horgan Invention, want to get that up in there, you're going to run the risk of me taking some swings at that guy. Yep. Yes. That could be a big deterrent to a lot of people, because if, if you get free swings, just, oh, I can hit you and you can't hit me, I'll take it. But as soon as that possibility of, like, oh... 
you might just decide to divert some of your attacks onto me, and maybe they won't do anything, but maybe they will. That suddenly makes a lot of people a lot more cautious, especially if you have made your charge move in such a way that if they intervene into you, you can potentially pile a lot of models around them. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, you know, you heroically intervene into my my squad of 15 witches. Well, I'm going to send, you know, these eight witches to pile in closer to you, and they're all going to swing on you. And suddenly that's like, yikes, that's actually kind of a lot more attacks than I was expecting. This is a little unpleasant. Oops. Yes. Uh, it's It can be a big deterrent to characters joining into combats like that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, do either of you have anything you want to finish the episode with here? No, I think we really uh, intervention in this to the death. All right. <laughs> See what I did there? It's double pun. I, I think I do get it. I, oh, wait. No, I don't. Uh, you have to explain <laughs> it to me later. So if any of you have questions about this or maybe a topic you'd like to hear us cover or you want help with a list or have a question, you can email us in, in the finest hour at gmail.com or send us a message on our Facebook group. We also have a Patreon. If you'd like to contribute five bucks a month, you can join up with that, which gets you access to our Discord channel, as well as our special Patreon-only Discord group, where we will post up special photos, talk about the tournaments we're going to, and all that sort of thing. And maybe sometimes we also post 40k memes or pictures ourselves or just talk about lists in the game in general. Or cats. We do talk about cats sometimes. I would like to thank all of our patrons who do help keep the show running, as well as Dankmuse, who has provided the music for our intro and intermission. You can check him out either on YouTube, SoundCloud, or Spotify. I'd like to thank Rylan Woodrow for doing our excellent art and Stephanie Sherman for doing our t-shirts. Mm-hmm. You can find them both on Instagram. And I would definitely like to extend the offer to anybody that would like to possibly do some advertisement or support our podcast that we have here. Please feel free. If you want to get a shout out to your business and or event, um, reach out to us at inthefinesthour at gmail.com or you can message us on the Facebook group and uh, we'll be more than happy to work something out for you. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for the week. Next week, we'll be talking about post-tournament tactics. A personal favorite of mine and Sean's. Oh, it's very important. Uh, looking at, you know, you've come back from a tournament and you just, you know, finished your 3-2 or 4-1 or, you know, God forbid, 0-5. It's happened. It's certainly happened to just about all of us. Uh, what do you do from there? Where do you go? Drink copious amounts of alcohol. Yeah, but after that. After that. Oh, Okay. Hopefully not drive home. Hopefully something a little more constructive and less illegal. <laughs> uh, so, for In the Finest Hour, I've been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen. Josh Death. Thanks for listening.